Mother's Day last week, which was beautiful, and then we're going to jump back into our Controversial Jesus series. Um, we've looked at tolerance, we've looked at sexuality, and now we're going to look at sewing. Um, sewing. Uh, not like a tailor or a seamstress. There's nothing controversial about sewing pants. <laughs> we're looking at a different type of sewing. Um, Together, we believe that the brightest days of the church are ahead of us, not behind us. And we believe it's going to take each and every one of us loving, leading, and living differently to shine as lights in the midst of the world in which we live. And if you want to, as a follower of Christ, stand out, there's two things that I would say to you. Number one is if you can dethrone yourself from the, if you can get off the throne of your own life, and you can put, bless you, and you can put Jesus there. If you can dethrone yourself and you can live self-sacrificially. And secondly, if you can grow in generosity, you, I promise you, you will stand out in the world in which we live. And so today we're going to talk about perspective. We're going to talk about, a little bit about poverty. We're going to talk about prosperity, provision. And ultimately, we're going to talk about our position a word of caution, it's 2019, so first I have to tell you what I'm not saying before I actually get to what it is that I want to say. And what I want to do is I'm talking today in terms of a specific decision. I understand that there are trying circumstances around the topic of sowing and reaping, around generosity, around faithfulness, around finances. I understand there's, there's, there's lots of stuff around there. I know there's a, I understand systemic poverty, um, which is different than individual choice. I get all of these things, but we're going to talk about it today. Um, I know this is a controversial topic. I have had people come up to me and personally say, I love everything about it, but the moment you talk about tithing, I'm out, I'm done, I leave. The moment you talk about generosity, I'm out, I leave. Um, I've had that happen. Uh, I know it's an interesting topic and it's a widespread topic. I've had this conversation with people in the most peculiar places imaginable. I've had it standing in a mall. I, it's amazing. I, I walked in a mall one time I was, and, and I noticed someone, uh, this actually happened to my father as well, but noticed someone you know, who goes to our church who was buying lottery tickets. And then they saw me. <laughs> and I don't care, do what you do. I mean, uh, here's, what, here's my rule. You're allowed to buy one. That's faith. If you buy two, no, 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 no. Now you're trying to play the odds. And don't do that. No, I don't, I don't believe in lottery tickets. But it was an amazing conversation like, oh, Pastor Jay, how's it going? What are you doing here? What's going on? How are you doing? Hey, it's a really nice day. You ever, what store are you going to? And I was like, J I, I didn't say anything. <laughs> and look, at, I ain't Jesus. Like, so just uh, listen to my words very carefully. I had this conversation around stewardship and sewing while getting a vasectomy. Not before and not after. During the procedure. I, that's no joke. That's no, well, obviously, it's not funny. I'm not laughing at all. There's nothing funny about it, but no joke. On Valium, in a very vulnerable place, my doctor who performed the procedure, I can't even say the V word, I don't like it, um, said to me, 
how does your church do tithing? Because at our synagogue, and I just went, no, not right now, no. <laughs> no. He said, like, he said, like, he said do, do you put, like, if people aren't giving, do you put their names on a board? And I was like, no, that's not a bad idea, but... <laughs> I didn't say that, I didn't say that, I didn't say that. I didn't say that. Some of you are like, I'm out, see you later, that's, that's, that's my line. I know. So listen, I know that we live in a culture of profit and loss, but the kingdom's all about sowing and reaping. Again, the subtext of this whole series is kingship, lordship, living into a different kingdom with a different king. And Jesus said some controversial things around sowing and reaping. So I get, I, I get all those things. And the final thing I would say before I need to say what Jesus said is, there is, I'm not here to sling shame whatsoever. Um, I have in my life, between the ages of like 16 to 19, I was disobedient in this area. Lori and I have made some dumb financial decisions in our lives that I'll, I'll just kind of highlight as we go through. So I'm not standing here from a place of pride. I'm not standing here, but I am here from a place of confidence telling you that the heart of this topic isn't finances, it's freedom. And so I pray you engage it with your whole heart. Jesus in Matthew 6, 24, which is not going to come on a screen at all, says, no one can serve two masters. And we all try, but no one can serve two masters. He will either hate the one or he'll love the other. He will be devoted to the one or he'll despise the other. And then he said, you can't serve God and money. Now, the real translation here shouldn't just be money like dollar-dollar bills, okay? That's not what he's saying. What he's saying here is you can't serve God and mammon. You can't serve God who is sowing and reaping and serve in a system that's buying and selling. So the controversial thing that Jesus says in the area of stewardship, every single one of us is serving something or someone, every single one of us. So in other words, controversial things that he says right off the top. So I want you to think about right now, not just your finances, I want you to think about all of your life, your time, your talent, and your treasure, including your finances. Thank you for time, your talent, your treasure. With all that Jesus has put into your hands today, my question is, whose is it? Do you live like an owner or a steward? So, for example, if we were to receive an offering, we're not, we're not, breathe. But if we were to receive an offering, and I said to you, turn to the person beside you and ask them if you could borrow their wallet for 15 minutes, and then you just give as you've always wanted to give. What would make the difference? I mean, they would start to sweat, but for you, it wouldn't be difficult. Why? Because you are taking something that someone else owns and you're giving it. So the question is, who owns everything? Do you or does it belong to God? Is it a gift or do we become the owners of it? You see, because our perspective is key. And Jesus told the story about this perspective. It's a bit of a long read, so stick with me. I will interject as we go through. Matthew 25, verses 14 to 30. Pause. Before Jesus said this, understand, 
he was talking to his disciples here, okay? He was talking to not, it wasn't like the crowds were all there. He, it was just his disciples. So if you're here and you don't know Jesus, you are so welcome. Um, I'm specifically speaking to followers of Christ this morning, so it's a bit insider, but you can grab lots out of it as well. So Jesus here is speaking to his disciples. And here's the story that he told his disciples about sowing and about stewardship, about being a good servant. For it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted to them, entrusted to them his property, not their property, entrusted to them his property. To one he gave five talents, to another two, and to another one. Pause, not fair. This is about freedom, not fairness. To one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, to each according to his ability. Then he went away. And he who had received the five talents went at once and traded with them, and he made five talents more. So also he who had two talents made two talents more. Uh, talents would be measures of money, and even one talent is a large sum of money. So he's just telling a parable. This didn't really happen. He's telling a story to illustrate our hearts. But he who had received the one talent, everyone say one talent. It says that he went out and he dug in the ground and he hid his master's money. So if you think that through a little bit, the one who received one talent was entrusted. He went and dug and put it in the ground so only he knew about it. Everything for the one who received the one was all about him. He was the self. He was the Lord of his life. Now, after a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them. And he who had received the five talents came forward, bringing five talents more, saying, Master, you delivered to me five talents. Here I have made five talents more. And his master said to him, Well done, good and faithful what? Servant. Okay, another word you can interject there is steward. But well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much and enter into the joy of your master. The joy of of your master, the delight of your master, the pleasure of your master, the joy and the delight. And he who had two talents came forward saying, Master, you delivered to me two talents. Here I have made two talents more. And his master said to him, oh, not good enough. You should have done five like the other person. Is that what he says? Not at all. Well done, good and faithful servant. Same word. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. Pause. This is why comparison is such a fool's game in the kingdom of God. You are not responsible for what God gives somebody else. You are only responsible of what He entrusts to you. It's not judging your life, someone who's received different or more or whatever. It's not about, it's not about who receives more gets better. It's just different now, here's what it says for the one who received one. I want to point out that every single one, five, two, and one, it was all a gift that they received. They didn't earn it at all. It was a gift that they received. It says, he also who had received the one talent came forward saying, Master, different language, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid. Everyone say, I was afraid. Fear has the same reaction in all of our hearts and lives. It causes us to close our hands, close our hearts, close our lives. That's the belief system here of the one who received the one, that, the story that Jesus told. So I was afraid, and I went, and I went, and I went, and I hid it, your talent in the ground. And then he says, here, take back everything that's yours. But the master answered him, you wicked and slothful servant. Turn to the person beside you and say, that's not very Canadian. 
you wicked and slothful servant. The revelation of this parable is so interlaced with amazing truths, but here's where it's so critical around perspective. In the story, the master says to the servant this, you knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I scattered no seed. Notice the punctuation. It doesn't say period. It doesn't say exclamation mark. It says question mark. In other words, that isn't who I am at all. So your incorrect perspective of who God is caused your behavior to flow in a way that is counter to who I am. You don't see who I am. So it wasn't like this one who received the one. It was his perspective on who the master was that was totally askew, and it showed up in his behavior. The master says, then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers, and at my coming, I should have received what was my own, just even with interest. So take the talent from him and give it to the one who has ten talents. Again, that's not fair. For to everyone who has, more will be given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. And cast the worthless servant into outer darkness, into that place there'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth. It's a heavy parable that Jesus told his disciples. And again, I want you to know that the controversial thing that Jesus said is not just that you and I, that we all serve something and someone, but the reality is that when we look at the parable, here's the thing that takes it another level of controversy. You see, because I falsely believed in my life that I wanted to learn how to be a steward of all that God has entrusted me. And listen, learning to be a steward of that which you have been entrusted with is a lifetime journey. But I mistakenly believed that it was something that I had to learn how to be a steward. And what's controversial is Jesus says to all of us through this story, He said it first to His followers, but to us today, He says to us, you don't have to learn to be a steward. From Jesus' perspective, we're either a good steward or a bad steward. But we're all stewards. Because every single one of us, whether it's a little or a lot, every single one of us have been entrusted with time, with talent, and with treasure. Every single one of us received the same number of breaths in a given day. None of us this morning, none of us this morning caused the sun to set, caused, caused the sun to rise. I'm saying in Ottawa by faith, I believe that there is still a sun in the sky. I'm just by faith speaking it out there, Lord, I've seen you move. You've moved mountains. I'm not even asking you to do that. A cloud would be great. And I believe you can do it again in our time. You can do it. We can have sun two days in a row, I believe. Lord, help my unbelief. So what the Scriptures teach is that you and I, we're all stewards. Every single one of us is a steward. It's whether or not we're a good steward or a bad steward. And even in 2019, as a Canadian, I feel like this temptation to like soften it, to say, you're not a bad steward, it's just you're a learning steward. But that's not what Jesus said. And what is good or what is bad? It's not good or evil. What Jesus was saying, what's bad about being a bad steward is that you're entrusted or you're enslaved to the wrong perspective of who the master is. Therefore, oftentimes what's bad about it is we're trusting in the wrong Lord, the wrong king. We're living into a different kingdom. As a pastor, I used to feel a lot of insecurity around talking around the area of finances. Anything financial in church, I felt a ton of insecurity because let's be honest, the church has done a lot of great things around the area of finances, but we've done some horrible things too. Can I just say to you, church, you don't have to buy your miracle. 
Can I say it again with clarity? You don't have to buy a miracle. Water in Russia ain't no different coming from that spring or this spring. Don't do that nonsense. Don't fall for that nonsense. At Life Center, we work really hard to receive offerings. We never take offerings. It's not ours to take. In Jesus' name, here's what I pray. Don't ever come here and be giving out of manipulation. Be giving out of obedience, not manipulation. If you feel anything manipulated, you have my permission to not give. Let your heart get right. Let it be out of this place of obedience, not fear, manipulation, and all of those things. So what does God's Word talk about then? Well, again, a few things. First, you, you do not have to decide whether or not you're a steward. Every single one of us watching online and those of us here, we're all stewards, every single one of us. From God's perspective, you already are. You're just either a good one or a bad one. But we're all stewards. I'm not slinging shame. I've been both in my life. Here's what's also true. No amount of resources poured into your life will make you a good steward. Well, when I make, when I win the lottery, no, 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 no. No amount of resources will make you a good steward. So in my life, here's what it personally looked like. When I was a teenager and I got my first job, my first job was at Godfather's Pizza and Subs. I was 13 years old and I was making minimum wage at 13 years old. Who hires a 13-year-old, by the way? <laughs> I got hired. I'll tell you, if you're 13, you're here, you're, you're, not, you're, you're far more mature than I was. So, but, but me at 13, I was, I was working at Godfather and Pizzas and Subs. And one Friday, my manager came and said, uh, manager was the owner of the, the store, said, ooh, I'm going to need you to work late tonight. And I was 13 years old, and I was like, ooh, I'm actually leaving for a retreat. Like, I'm going to go on a youth retreat. And he's like, well, Jason, I'm sorry, it's not going to work. You're, 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 you're going to need to work late tonight. And I said, I actually don't need this job. And I just walked out. <laughs> like, I was just doing it for pocket money. You know, I was like, I don't, I, don't, I don't need this. I'm going on the youth retreat. And I just walked out. I got in trouble when I got home, and I realized that wasn't my decision to make. But... But it was easy for me to tithe at 13. And then Lori and I met. She's not here. <laughs> Between you and me, she is expensive. <laughs> Between you and me, it's not actually true. She's not at all. But I was in love. And all of a sudden, it was like, well, I could buy Lori Eternity perfume and be a hero, <laughs> or I could tithe. Be a hero to your girlfriend, or tithe. And so I just chose hero. <laughs> Don't clap that. <laughs> Way to go. Good job on you, you disobedient bad steward. Oh, yeah. And so for a season, made bad choices, repented of it, and then, you see, it was easy as a teenager. It was hard when I had competing affections. And then when we had our first mortgage and there were bills, then it was like, Lord, I, 
we can't afford to tithe. Seek first the kingdom of God and its righteousness, and then all these things will be added unto you. And I was like, I don't want to hear that right now. And it took us time to work through how do we be a good steward? What does it look like in our lives? We've been bad stewards. What is a bad steward? What does it look like? Well, there's a couple of ditches that you can fall into. Before I get there, let me just say these two things, and then I'll say that. So first, again, no amount of resources poured into your life make you a good steward. You've got to start with right where you are today. And second of all, it's the only way the grip of greed or the fear of inadequacy is broken off your heart is through a lifestyle of consistent generosity. The enemy can't attack what you give. But the question is, how do you view God? That's the question. Do you view him as Jehovah Jireh? I mean, God is provider. Do you view it that you own everything and you're giving God back a gift? Or do you view it as the earth is the Lord, Psalm 24, and the fullness thereof and everything I receive is a gift? And that's not meant to be stuck with me. I'm meant to steward it. Biblical wealth is not how full your bank account is. It is how much God can flow through you, not to you. You know, the Dead Sea is very different than the other seas. The Dead Sea has no outflow, only an inflow, and everything in it is dead. The same happens to our lives, that if God can flow it to us, it's meant to flow through us. I'm telling you, it's a different kingdom. There is nothing that touches on the lordship of Jesus more than this topic. What kind of steward are you with your time, your talent, and your treasure? See, because understanding that God owns and we steward is the most vital understanding you must embrace that Jesus taught around generosity. It's not about this or that. It's not about a percentage per se. We'll get there in a minute. But ultimately, if the belief of your heart around who God is is skewed, then this will always be a struggle. So how do we need to look at generosity we need to look at it as a 100% equation, not a 10% equation. See, in the above parable, each one stewarded, that Jesus told, each one stewarded 100% of what they were entrusted. Good or bad, each stewarded 100%. Two were good stewards who managed 100% of what was entrusted to them. And again, one was a bad steward who also differently managed 100% of what was entrusted to him. And so growing in generosity is 100% trusting God that starts with a 10% step. But it's absolutely trusting God. You know, one day, another day, Jesus was looking and there was the crowd who was asking the religious leaders a bunch of questions and Jesus said this, let them alone, they are blind guides. And if the blind lead the blind, both will fall into a pit. Or more accurately translated, both will fall into a ditch. And so my question that I want you to reflect on for a moment right now is this. Who, when it comes to stewardship, when it comes to sowing, when it comes to generosity, who do you follow? Who's informing you? Who's discipling you? Again, as I told you, I used to feel insecure around this until I had experiences in the world in which we live. Anyone here by a hand, show of hands, have a credit card? Can I see your hands, please? Do you have a credit card? No shame, just you own one. Do you have one? When you get one, you know what? 
You don't negotiate the interest rate. I mean, some of you go, you can. I didn't know that. It's there. They don't act. It's just there. And whether you pay it or not, they don't care about your situation. They just apply it and keep applying it and keep applying it and keep applying it. In fact, the only way they're in business is on the backs of debt. Did you know that Ontario, out of every Canadian province, is the least generous province? Yes. Stats can, not like Christian stats, stats can. If you take the church and you take the world in which we live, I wish I could tell you that there was a drastic difference in the church world, and there is a difference, but it's not that big. You're talking about 1% to 2% difference. So the heart of this isn't finances. The heart of this is freedom. Let's talk about the first ditch for a moment. The first ditch is the ditch of poverty. On the area of stewardship, there's a belief that came all, you can see it all through missionary culture, you can study it all through the history, but there was this belief that the less you had, the more holy you were. And it swept through. But it's a ditch. On the journey of generosity, it's a ditch. Poverty is a challenge because it reduces our choices. Lori and I have made some foolish financial decisions and I was convicted one day because we bought something on line of credit, rolled it into our mortgage, and when I calculated the interest on that, Together, we both had a moment of repentance, understood. And so it's like, well, what was the sin there? Well, the, the sin for Lori and I that what the Lord convicted us of was it was theft, that we were robbing from our future because we were too greedy now. And what happened is that our yes in this day robbed our future yeses because we didn't have it. And we had to have this moment of repentance. I'm not saying that's a terrible strategy all the time. I'm just saying our hearts were convicted. That, God, we can't live this way. This is not a God-honoring way. So I'm not saying in a braggadocious, we've made some mistakes in our lives. Poverty can also be systemic. It can be generational. But it's often rooted in scarcity, and it's rooted in lack. And sometimes when that thing grabs a hold of our heart, it's anybody who has more than you do is greedy. But that's not necessarily true. Robert Morris has written some great books, and he articulates that sometimes when, a ditch of, when we're in the ditch of poverty in our lives, that this is what can flow from our lives. He says this, that God doesn't want His people to have anything in life, that all your rewards are in heaven. This is what happens in the ditch. This is a belief that can come on our lives. See all those wealthy Christians over there, their sellouts, their compromises. You're a better Christian than them. This stuff can begin to permeate our hearts. We begin to look at other people. We begin to judge. All that stuff can begin to stir in our hearts and lives. That's one ditch. And so the church talked a lot for a lot of years about that holiness was tied to lack. Holiness was tied to poverty. And here's what I know. Holiness is tied to obedience. 
And if Jesus asks you to give this up, then you're going to wrestle with that. But here's what else I know. You can give everything up and still be just as prideful, critical, and judgmental because it's not the outcome. It's the step of obedience to trust. And so what the church has done in the last like 20, 30 years is we've swung from poverty. We've gone from one ditch right into another ditch, and it's called the ditch of prosperity. And there's lots of prosperity gospel and prosperity teaching all around the world. And I need you to know as your pastor, at its root, it is damaging and it is devastating to the gospel. Prosperity is that God's blessing always looks materialistic in our lives, and it's just not true. The ditch of prosperity could be that money, material, and stuff. They are signs of God's blessing. But you know what Jesus said? More often than not, He warned about the dangers of wealth more than He warned about the dangers of lack. This ditch of prosperity is one that we sometimes find ourselves in, that it fuels our need for more, that we deserve more, that we're incomplete unless we get more. It's the next title. It's the next salary level. It's the next promotion. It's the next this. It's the next. And it robs contentment from our hearts and from our lives. It's when our self-worth gets tied to our net worth. And it's damaging and it's dangerous. So Robert Morris, same author, says when that happens, when we're in that ditch, this is what can begin to spill over in our thinking and our beliefs is go ahead and put the pursuit of wealth first in your life right now. Once you get rich through your own efforts, then you'll be free to put God's agenda first. Your wealth will be a sign that God is pleased with you. That's what happens in this ditch. It's not true, but it's what happens in this ditch. And so if God doesn't want us in the ditch of poverty, nor does He want us to live in the ditch of prosperity, so what's the pathway that God has for us? Well, all of our lives can touch into those ditches at times, but the truth of Scripture is it's not about poverty or is it about prosperity. It's about provision. And that is why it's always this trust of lordship the question of Scripture is, what has God placed in your hands today? Whether it's little or whether it is much, God, will I be faithful with what you have entrusted into my life today? Because provision starts with your position. Generosity does not start with you giving. Generosity starts with you receiving. You and I receive from God grace, which we could never earn ever earn in our lives. This morning before your eyes opened, there was a gift waiting for you called mercy. You can't earn it. It's a gift that you receive into your heart. It's a gift that you receive into your life. And then in receiving that out of the overflow of your heart, there is this place of generosity. And so generosity, when we mistakenly engage it, is it's not trying to earn God's favor. You already have that as a son or daughter. If you have given your life to Christ, your position in God completely changes that you have all that He has. 
But from this place of generosity, we look and say, God, what have you put into my hands? Not what have you put into somebody else's hands. One, two, or five is not my business. It's the master's business. God, what have you put into my hands? What is the provision that you have put in my hands, and how am I going to be faithful with it? God goes first because He first loved us. He first redeemed us. And so the overflow of our gratitude or the overflow of our hearts is from a place of generosity. In faithfulness, I steward then what He has entrusted to me. We steward what we've entrusted to us. My hand is open as God begins to align my perspective around who He is, that He's a good Father who loves to give good gifts to His kids, that He is not one that we should live in fear, that the one steward had the incorrect perspective of who the father was. As that begins to get realigned, all of a sudden we no longer live in fear. We live by this thing called faith, which is the currency of the kingdom of God, which fear, again, causes everything in our lives to constrict, our hands to close, our hearts to close. But faith begins to land our hearts to begin to open, our hands is to begin to open. My hand is open, prepared to give and distribute as he directs. Why? Because it's not mine, it's His. Does the journey of generosity get easier? Yes. But are there moments where God asks you to give something and you go, yes. And in that moment, sometimes it just reveals that He's trying to set us free in an area of our hearts and lives. So practically speaking, What do the scriptures teach? Well, my personal opinion, based on reading God's word and understanding it in its totality, is that generosity starts with sowing, receiving from God. And then it starts with this gift of sowing. I've got a conviction that it belongs in the local church as it's God's plan A. So for Lori and I, the first thing we do every time we get paid is we give 10% of it right off the top. That means that there's 88% left over. Some of you are going, the math doesn't work. Stay with me. Out of that, we have a very, very bad word, and it's called a budget. We no longer say, you know, we can't afford to. We just say, we just choose not to. But out of there is our savings, out of there is our retirement, out of there is our spending. All of it goes into this category. And then we have this other category called serving, which is this, we're growing it. That's now at 2%. Don't put your hands up. But has God ever put it on your heart to give something and you went, oh, I can't do it. Lori and I went through that too. And so we've done this, we've had this game now with God for the last 20, for the last 24 years. We've had this game. 10% right off the top goes to God, which by the way, creates interesting conversations every year with H&R Block. Um, the government's had some conversations with us about that. There's no way you should be given that much from CRA. You're like, you ever notice how the government doesn't ask you to voluntarily give, it just takes? Two different kingdoms. 
we have this little 2% that we set aside in envelopes that we put money aside so that if God says, hey, I want you to give X to X, we can just go, yep, here you go. And it is this joy. We have a dream in our hearts. With this, I'm going to stop talking. I'm just trying to make it practical. We have a dream in our hearts. What could it be to continue to push our generosity? Wouldn't it be amazing at one point in your life to be a reverse tither that you could live on 10% and give away 90? I don't know how close we can get to 90, but every year we try to increase that. And you know what happens every year when we budget it out, we go to increase it, you know what we say? We can't afford to do it, which drives us to, God, I thank you that we are not, we are not the owners, we are the steward of it. And we're gonna take a step of faith to trust you in this area. And guess what happens at the end of a year? He proves himself faithful. The math doesn't work, but I'm telling you, he is Jehovah Jireh. He is God, our provider. So are you a steward or are you an owner? Are you in one of the two ditches? Good thing that they're not cliffs. They're ditches. You can get out of a ditch. If you want to, see, if you want to live an extraordinary life, dethrone yourself and say yes to generosity and live different and shine bright in this broken world. Thank you.